Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Father, we just want to thank you today for your grace and your mercy that you freely extend to all of us here. We ask in Jesus' name that you do a good work, that you stir up things in our hearts, Lord Jesus, that point us to you, that show us the way we know again that you are able. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen and amen. Would you do this with me as we continue our series, Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church? I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. That's Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And as you do, let me remind you of where Jesus is, uh, where he is in this story. Not just physically, because we know he's in Jericho, but emotionally and spiritually. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going there for a reason. He's going there to die on a cross. Now, he's on his way to redeem us from our brokenness caused by sin. And it seems like Jericho is going out of the way because it's not a place that you would think the Son of God would visit. It's not a place that would have been common for him to go to. Jericho was a city that God had literally cursed. And in Jesus' day, it had become like a resort area. It was the Las Vegas of its day. People would go there. They would vacation. They would gamble. They would indulge. It attracted some pretty, as you can imagine, some pretty seedy characters like publicans or tax collectors. The publicans were like our modern-day mafia. So you need to get these pictures in your mind for this story to really work for you, for it to play out. They were tax collectors, and they were deeply despised by the people of their time. And so the story we read today is about a chief tax collector who resided in Jericho. And uh, we're going to talk about him in just a moment. But before, let's read, let's read what it says here beginning at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained or murmured, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone in false accusation, I restore seven or fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. It's a great story. In fact, it's one of my favorite in the gospel. And did you hear what it said about this man, Zacchaeus? Verse 2, it tells us a lot that we need to know about him. It tells us, in fact, three things. First, his name. 
His name is Zacchaeus. Now, what most of you may not know is that his name means pure one. Now, imagine his mom and dad as he's grown older, as he's made choices in life that have gone contrary to his faith, his religion, uh, his walk with God. He's called the pure one. At this time, when Jesus came across him, when they intersected in relationship, he was the furthest thing from being a pure one. Now, it also says that he was chief among Pharisees or, excuse me, publicans. In, in his eyes, the, the, the fellow Jews that looked at him, he, they saw him as a traitor, and he was a chief traitor at that. And then Jesus tells a story, and what I love about this is I think this may have some prophetic bent to it. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18, and in the story, there's a tax collector who realizes he needs God's mercy. I think what Jesus is doing is he's talking here in my mind, when I read this, he's talking about Zacchaeus. That he wanted to come back to a place of mercy with God, of grace with God. And he was trying to get there. And you can see that in his heart, he's being stirred up. And the reason we know that is because he went to great extent to find Jesus, to seek out Jesus. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. And some of you have sung the song when you were in Sunday school. You have sung the song about Jesus, or Zacchaeus climbing into a sycamore tree. They're not easy to get into. Uh, they're easy to get out of because you can fall. But they're not easy to get into. And so here we find him looking for Jesus. And then the third thing we know in verse 2 is we know about Zacchaeus that he was rich. He didn't conduct business half-heartedly and that's why he was rich. Zacchaeus made no qualms to go in and treat everyone the same. He treated widows the same if they didn't pay their taxes. He treated the poor the same if they didn't pay their taxes. He treated the rich the same if they didn't pay their taxes. He went after them. And he went after him in such a way that it made him very, very rich. Now, this was the man that Jesus took interest in. You have to keep this in mind. This is a man that Jesus had an eye on. This was the man that everyone hated. And we hear in the New Testament some places where people murmured. Did you see that? Or here in this translation, it says people complained. It says all the people complained. Well, in the Gospels, you'll come across stories every now and again where the scribes murmured, where the Pharisees murmured, or the Sadducees murmured, or even the disciples murmured. This is the only place in the Gospel where it says they all murmured. didn't matter who you were. If you were, if you were there and you saw Zacchaeus, you didn't like him. You murmured. You, you, you had all the, the reason to hate him. And this is exactly what happens here. All of these people murmured. And so what does Jesus do with this hated, rich publican? He, he does the unthinkable. What he does is he invites himself to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Now, this gets everyone's attention. This is something that people aren't altogether used to. And then Zacchaeus wholeheartedly repents. And in my opinion, his act of repentance is second to no one in the Gospels because of what he did. That, that he really stepped out and he said, I'm repenting. I'm going the other way. He repents in a concrete way. He doesn't waste a lot of words about how he was sorry. What he does is he just says, hey, listen, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. And I'll repay everyone fourfold. Those that I extorted, those that I treated wrongly, I'll pay you back fourfold. Now, this is repentance in the biblical sense. When you read the story, the word repentance here used is metatonia. And it means to turn around. It means a 180 degree change. And that's what he does. That's exactly what he does. Zacchaeus made a choice to get back on track. That's what he's doing in this story. 
Remember what his name meant? Again, we talked about it earlier. Pure one. So what's happening here? What's happening in my mind is he's doing just that. He's becoming pure again. He's becoming right with God. God gives us all those opportunities. He gives you a chance. He gives me a chance. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our occupation. He gives us the chance to do what he's called us to do. And then Jesus responds with two. And what I think here are two of the most incredible sentences in the Bible. He says, first of all, today salvation has come to this house. Now, wow. I mean, can you imagine if you were Zacchaeus? What was going through Zacchaeus's head when he heard those words from Jesus? The word salvation here is an interesting word because in the Greek, it's translated. And I want to give you a little background here. It's translated soteria. But in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about shalom, the gift of shalom. Did you know the word shalom is so rich in its meaning that it takes three different Greek words to describe it? We, we just didn't have one word, one translation. Uh, it took three words to, to make it this wonderful word come to life. And I want to tell you what they are. One word is teleos in the Greek, which means perfectly complete. Uh, it's the word that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross. And he said, it is finished. It has been perfected. There's nothing else that can do this. It's my sacrifice that is perfect in taking away the sins of the world. And the second word is one we've just talked about. That's soteria, which means what salvation. And then the third word is arini, and which, which is the word for peace. And so you take these words and you put them together and you have the word shalom. The word used here again is soteria. And it's really the best word here because it means health. It means restoration and it means wholeness. Let me ask you this question. How many of us need one or two or three of those things? I mean, when I look at this and I read this story, I recognize that Zacchaeus is me and I'm him. You're Zacchaeus, he's you. And there are things in Zacchaeus' life that, that he needed from the Lord. What he needed was he needed health, he needed restoration, he needed wholeness. The question we have to ask ourselves today, is that something we need and the answer, I think, is yes. So Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, salvation has come. Or another phrase or another way to put it, shalom has come to your house today. What a great announcement that is. What a great declaration that is for, for a sinner's ear to hear those words, shalom has come to your house today. I want to do this right now. Would you just bow your head just for a moment? And I want to pray that shalom comes to your house today. Father, we just pray and we invite your wholeness into our lives. Those same words that you spoke to Zacchaeus that day when you said salvation has come to your house or shalom has come to your house. We ask for the same thing in our homes, in our families, in our relationships. Lord, we need you desperately. We need you to bring healing to us, to restore us, to bring wholeness to our life. And so we call upon your great name. And we ask wherever we are, whatever home we're in, whatever relationships we're part of, that you in Jesus' name would bring shalom to our house today. Amen. Amen. Say amen with me on that, would you? Yeah. Now here's the second sentence that Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. It says, he also is a son of Abraham. 
I don't want you to miss this. This is important. Jesus doesn't just throw these words around. Jesus restores Zacchaeus as a full-fledged son of Abraham. Now, this is the very thing that he gave away. The moment he chose to be a tax collector or a publican, and in this case, he moved himself right up the ladder. He was a chief tax collector. It was his dignity of being a Jew that he gave away. He exploited his heritage for the benefit of the Romans. He took advantage of his own people for his self-gain. But he traded. He was a traitor. And people saw him as a traitor. Jesus restores his sonship in front of everyone. And then Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. What he's doing there is he's broadening the picture just a little bit for us. He's saying, while I'm talking to this man right here, Zacchaeus, you all need to know that my mission is maybe not what you think it is. My mission is to come and seek and save the lost. And I'm going to tell you why that's so important. That statement is so important here in this passage of Scripture because this story is full of incredible surprises, especially when you consider again that Jesus was headed for Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. Now, you can write these in your bulletin, but there are a few surprises that you may want to write down. The first surprise here is that Jesus notices one person in the crowd. Some would even say that maybe he went to Jericho to seek out Zacchaeus. But Jesus noticed him. He saw him in the crowd. And there were crowds. There are other translations that say the crowds pressed in on him. That there were so many people you couldn't even move around. But what does Jesus do? He notices this person in the crowd. Jesus was always sensitive to everyone he met. That when he talked to somebody, it wasn't like he was juggling oranges and looking at you and looking at ten other people. What he was doing is he was looking at the person he was talking to. He was looking them in the eyes and he was bringing good news to them, to their household, to their lives. Jesus treats Zacchaeus like he treats all of us. He treats us as individuals. And that's one thing I'm so thankful for in our relationship with the Lord, that he treats all of us here with dignity, that he treats all of us here with respect because he's created us. He's made us. That's what I like about that story and this story. That's one of those surprises. And then the second surprise here is that Jesus accepted the hospitality from a hated person. That's that's a surprise. Certainly it surprised those people that were in the crowd and even his best friends. Zacchaeus was hated for a good reason. Now, I don't know what kind of environment you grew up in when you were going to school, but if you can just picture in your mind the bully of your school or the bully of your class, that would be Zacchaeus. Now, here it is. Zacchaeus wasn't a big thug. He was a short thug. And I want to say this, they're the worst kind. People knew that about him. People knew that he was a bad seed. And so when Jesus accepts this invitation, he's sending a message. He's letting people know that all are accepted. When they repent, when they obey, they're accepted into the arms of the Lord. Now, the third surprise here is this. A man that's so hard-hearted became repentant and generous. That's what I like about the story. How fast he turns around. Remember, he became wealthy because he was hard-hearted. And Jesus used that same passion that, that same drive, that same desire, and he uses it for good because he says here that I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And then I'm going to restore those that I've defrauded, those that I've done wrong by. I'm going to restore fourfold to them. Jesus probably in a conversation with Zacchaeus, because we don't know the exact time from when he asked him to go to his house to when Zacchaeus came out and made this announcement. We don't know exactly the time frame there. We know that probably Jesus had a conversation with Zacchaeus. And if that conversation went like any other conversations that are recorded in the gospel, there were probably two things that took place. The first thing is Jesus pointed out Zacchaeus' need for salvation. How much he really needed a Savior, why he needed a Savior. And then I think the second thing that he pointed out is he pointed out that man's need is met by God's ability. And I think when you look through the other conversations in the Gospels, you're going to find that these things bear true in the other conversations Jesus has. He he talks about our need. He talks about the need we have for salvation and God's grace and His mercy. And then He says, now, you need to know something. God is the only one that can meet that need. Zacchaeus embraces that truth. And then we have the final surprise. And that's a man who did so much harm is restored as a son of Abraham. He's restored into his own community. One, that he was disenfranchised from, albeit his own choice, his own decisions, but he was separated from his heritage. That's a big thing in in the Jewish bloodline. That's huge. But he was separated because of the choices he made. Now, I think there are things in life, times in life, where we make choices that may be not the best, but they're, they're incidental, maybe even accidental choices, but they still get us in trouble. Then there are choices we make that are very intentional. Zacchaeus made an intentional decision, a thought-out decision. He was going to be a tax collector. Doing so, he knew he was going to forfeit something, and that was relationship with his own people. Now, if we can understand why these people were so upset, then we're going to be able to understand the very heart of the gospel of Jesus. Have you ever read this story? I remember reading this story and thinking, why are these people so mad? Why are they so upset? Why why, why is there dander up here? What's making... I mean, again, all of them murmured. All of them complained. It wasn't just part of the crowd. It was everyone that was there. They all complained. What was going on here? What was stirring this crowd up? And that's this, the crowds were upset because they thought a Messiah would conquer evil. You see, the very heart of what the Jews understood, especially in the Old Testament, about a Messiah, is that he would come and he would conquer evil. And in this case, he would overthrow the government of of Rome. The very evil the Jews despised all converged and was embodied in Zacchaeus. It's almost like Zacchaeus with this crowd may have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. With Jesus, it was the right place at the right time. But Zacchaeus represented something, these people, that they hated, they despised. Now make no mistake, Jesus was very famous at this point. So why did the Jews have such high and sensitive expectations about Jesus? One of the reasons was, is because you remember how John and what John the Baptist preached. He preached many things about the Messiah. So the people were expecting a Messiah who would virtually clean house. If you read the the, the, things that John the Baptist talked about, it it was very, very Old Testament. It, it It was cleaning house. It was taking care of the problem. It was taking care of evil. 
And so they're hearing this. They're hearing this preached. And then they see Jesus do something that seems in their mind contrary to that. He comes alongside of somebody who embodies the evil of the day. And they're wondering, what in the world is this Messiah doing? Or is this really the Messiah? Is this really the one we should be following? You know, they were longing for a Messiah who would conquer evil, and Jesus disappointed those expectations. In fact, let me tell you what I think. I think that one of the most incredible proofs of our Lord's Messiahship is how wonderfully He fulfills and disappoints every expectation we have. You've experienced that. There have been times where you thought, well, I'm sure the Lord will do this now. This would be the right thing for God to do, and maybe that didn't happen. What happened? What happened in your heart? Your expectations. You were let down. Those expectations were not fulfilled. I think one of the reasons that the Lord lived this way and the the disappointments and the fulfillment of expectations was He's sovereign. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. There's no way that anyone in this room or anyone in this world can buttonhole Him. There's no way that anyone in this world can dictate to Him what He will and won't do. And so you have a crowd that's very disappointed. The Jews wanted their Messiah to reach His hand into the horrible wheel of the Roman injustices that were taking place, that this Messiah would take a hold of that wheel and make it right, and He would destroy evildoers. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. And here is the the last thing that I think about. I want you to think about this before we take communion today, that Zacchaeus gained ground while Jesus lost ground. You know, as I read the story, I realized something, that, that there was something Jesus was doing. He was preferring this individual as he, as he would over his own reputation, what people thought about him, what they expected from him. I think that what would, that would tell us something. It would tell us certainly how much he loves us. Here's what Jesus did. He reveals Zacchaeus. He identifies with Zacchaeus. And he restores Zacchaeus. All of this at the risk of his own reputation. And he does the same thing with us today. He's not afraid of the dark. He's not afraid of your badness. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid of the things that you've done. You're not going to do anything to scare him or surprise him. And if there's any story that tells us that, it's certainly this story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. You know, when you hear this story, it almost sounds like another story. In fact, the other story is a parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. I was hearing a little bit of that in in the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe, Maybe you can hear it as well. The son returns. The father greets him. What does he say? He says, put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight. What happens is the older brother is jealous. He's angry. Kind of like the crowd that murmured here, isn't it? Kind of like the older brother who was upset that, that the younger brother was being received with such grace and such love. The story that we read here today, this is not a parable. Jesus does it. He identifies, he saves, he restores the identity of Zacchaeus. 
And so Zacchaeus gains ground, but Jesus lost ground in the eyes of the people. Zacchaeus was given a new lease on life, but Jesus lost ground. To me, this story has the the shadow of the cross all over it. You see what's happening here is Jesus is going about his kingdom business. He's going about a a broader look at our lives. He's not just focused in on what pleases him or the things that he wants. He's being obedient to his father in heaven. And he says, and if this cup should pass from me, let it pass from me. But if not, if it's your will, father, let it be done. I've wondered at times in reading this story, I did the same thing. I wonder at times and permit me to do this just a little bit. But where where did Jesus lose Judas? Where did he go south? Where did things unravel? Oh, we all know where it does openly and where, where, where the event was. But there was something that had to take place prior to that, to the betrayal. Where did Jesus lose this guy? Judas was a zealot. So where was it that Judas said, I can't do this anymore? Where was it that he said, I I can't follow the Lord anymore? Was it just that he wanted money? And so he took a bribe and betrayed Jesus? I don't think so. I think it's probably more complicated than that. I wonder if right here, Judas was one of those who murmured. And he said, well, you can't trust Jesus anymore. Because in the next scene, if if you go a little further in Bethany, he says that thing about the perfume. What's going on here? Why, why, Jesus, why are you letting this happen? I mean, that's expensive stuff. See, something had already turned in his heart. We see that. In his interaction in that house that day. Something has caused Judas to become bitter toward Jesus. And I have to ask the question. Is this the event that triggered it? What kind of Messiah is Jesus? That he doesn't point out the evil doers or conquer evil. And he spends the night in Zacchaeus' house. Oh come on. You could just feel and picture Judas saying, okay, I'm fed up to here. I've already seen all these other things. I didn't sign up for this. And what Jesus is saying, and what he's making very clear again at the very end of that statement, he says, I've I've come, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. There is the gospel. There is the gospel pitted against contrary to popular opinion. Jesus went home with a sinner. Jesus sided with a sinner. Jesus ate with a sinner. And these people are thinking, the Messiah that we read about, that we know about, wouldn't do something like this. I think when I was done with this story, I stopped for a minute and I said, I'm so thankful that this is the gospel message. Because none of us would be here if he wasn't determined like he was with Zacchaeus, to seek and save the lost. None of us. And for that today, I'm grateful. For that today, I I read the story in a new light.
understanding what seems to be some of the contradictions here. Understanding what was Jesus really all about. Because he chose a different way to deal with evil and evildoers. You know what he did? He absorbed it. He became sin for you and for me. That's what he was doing here. I think he was saying to the crowd, I love this man. I care for this man. I'm going to go home with this man. I'm going to eat with this man. And in a few days, I'm going to die for this man. The message isn't old today. It's a new message. It's a fresh message. It's a message that should hit our hearts as well, that he's done the same thing. That's when he's seeing you, when he sees me, he says, now there's somebody that's worth dying for. He says that about you. And because he conquered the, the weapons of evil, it's death and sin, we're here today. And we celebrate in a few weeks the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, if you were the Messiah, just think, would you come back and you'd want to do right and unravel Pilate and go after Caiaphas and all those, those people that did you wrong? But Caiaphas, he serves for another eight years. Pilate, we're not altogether sure. What does Jesus do? He's fighting the battle in a different way. He's fighting the battle with what really matters. And what really matters is your heart and my heart. That is the battleground. And he chose to win that war. And bring victory to you and to me. That's what the story of Zacchaeus shows me. That's what it tells me. Today we're going to come to the Lord's table together and as we do, I want you to keep in mind this story and how it relates to you personally. That if it was not for our Lord's tenacity, His determination to bring salvation to our lives, we just would not be here today. That's what this story tells me. That Jesus flew in the face of popular opinion. That He went contrary and contradicted the image of what the Messiah, what they thought the Messiah should look like or be. And again, I'm so glad that he did. He came to seek and save the lost. That includes all of us. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that?